Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. God bless you. It's been a beautiful weekend of baptisms at the beach. I think that's four weekends in a row we've had baptisms now. And the more to, more to come this next month, so that is, that's uh, outstanding. Uh, if you've ever come to that place in your life and faith where you've decided to follow Jesus or you realize you decided to follow Jesus and never got baptized, now is a perfect season in which to do it. So uh, let us know. Uh, you can put comments uh, in the chat or send us an email at info at reallife.la and let us know that you're ready for baptism uh, and we will proceed. Uh, also, we had a great week this last week because our kids went to camp. About 40 kids went up to camp and that's a, a highlight of the summer for them. They spend time talking about Jesus, learning about the Bible, having fun, being outdoors in nature and away from all the digital media. And so uh, we're so thankful that you are a church that supports kids in ministry, kids who get to go and uh, go adventuring in the summer. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. We're almost done now. It's the next to the last week in our series on encountering God, talking about places in our lives where we come to a first-person experience of faith, a face-to-face experience with the God who made us and who loves us. And we've looked at different biblical passages that talk about encounters with God in prayer. Uh, today, we're going to talk about worship in our work life. And, uh, and so today, I want to look at what it means to gather as we do on Sundays and to turn our attention in the direction of God. Is that ritual and routine? Or is it a profound moment of transcendence in which we get to experience the presence of Jesus? Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that uh, you call us into your presence, that you allow us uh, into the gateways of your presence, that nothing we've uh, done or lived through that can keep us from you Uh, that no matter how far we've run away from you, you've come chasing after us, and all you want is for us to draw close to you. All you want is for us to experience intimacy with you. So send your spirit into we who worship today, all all who listen, all who pray, all who lift their hearts, and draw us out of the mundane. Draw us out of routine. Draw us out of the brokenness of bitterness and grudges of resentments of anxieties draw us into the presence where we can be healed and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight lord our strength and our redeemer amen i want to read from the bible two different passages that describe the worship that goes on in heaven all the time the first one is from the prophet isaiah chapter 6 And in this text, Isaiah witnesses the presence of God on the throne in heaven. This is how it reads, Isaiah 6 at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Remember, they they, uh, believed God's spirit lived in the temple in Jerusalem, in the center room, the Holy of Holies. So God's, God's robe filling the temple is because that's where his throne is. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. It's an image of heaven in which the angels live in perpetual worship of God. Now flip over to Revelation chapter 5 at verse 4 and look at the similarities between the vision that John sees of worship in the, in the throne room of heaven. Revelation 5.4, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must, must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John is ushered into a vision of heaven and at the center of heaven is one sitting on a throne. Uh, if you go down to verse 6, in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, and the fourth was flying like an eagle. Each of the four creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And you'll recall, I've told you, these were the four constellations in the Babylonian cosmology that stood at the corners of the sky. Taurus, Leo, Aquarius, and what we call Scorpio today, they saw as an eagle back then. And with eyes all around them on the front and the back, and in back, sound like the, the constellations filled with stars. And what John means to say here is all of creation gathers around the throne of God and recognizes the one sitting on the throne, the one who appeared as a lamb, Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of the universe and all the universe knows that he's the king. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. The, the vision of heaven that we get, the little sample tasting of heaven that we get in the Bible is a place of perpetual worship where the people there never get tired of worshiping God. I remember listening to famed atheist Richard Dawkins do an interview with famed podcaster Joe Rogan. And Richard Dawkins was there to promote his new book, which he had written in order to uh, urge children not to believe in God. And Dawkins said that he couldn't imagine anything more boring than heaven. He couldn't imagine anything more boring than eternity. Because eventually you run out of things to do and it's just the same thing over and over again. His vision of heaven was of a boring, stale, meaningless place. And if you've ever sat in church on a Sunday morning when the air conditioner was broken you might have a little sense of what he meant. I remember growing up in churches where pastors would stand up in pulpits wearing long robes and they would read the sermon directly off the piece of paper. And the piece of paper was old and yellow because it was a sermon they had written years before and read many times. And they would stand up in the pulpit and read their long, slow, boring sermon while I sat there as a child thinking, just photocopy it and hand it out. I can read it faster than you can. And then we'll all get out of here and beat the Baptist to Wendy's. Church, for some of us, was an excruciating experience as children. It was boring. It was meaningless. And the idea of something up in heaven that looked anything like church was painful. 
You can see why people might suspect that eternity is an awful long time. What are we going to do there that's not just going to be dull? In fact, is all worship supposed to be kind of dull and meaningless? Is it just a, a ritual that we go through and repeat because we don't know what else to do? What does God get out of our worship? Does God enjoy this? Now, the modern church has adapted quite a bit, right? We, uh, we've uh, brought contemporary music into the, the worship space some 50, 60 years ago. Sermons are now geared more towards relevant life experiences than the, the lectures on Habakkuk that some of us grew up with. But, but there's still this, this question of, so what happens in eternity? When, when people say, well, you just worship God forever, is that... Is that like one really long church service? Because I get kind of tired when it's an hour 15. Uh, I, I remember when I was in college, I went and listened to a speaker at a big Christian conference. And she said, how could you, as a follower of Jesus, not commit to at least praying for an hour a day? God gave you 24 hours. Can't you commit one hour a day just to praying? And I went home feeling guilty. And I thought, well, that's what I better do. I better find a place in my room where I'm going to sit. I'll get a journal that I can write in. And I'll sit there for an hour every day. And I'll just go through the things I feel like I'm supposed to talk to God about. And I'll pray for an hour a day. And I did it. For an hour a day for about a year. And at the end of that year, I hated prayer. It was the most boring, ritualistic, meaningless experience I had ever had. It was like talking at a brick wall and just hoping the brick wall could hear something. I had experiences of worship as a child that were boring. I had experiences of prayer in college that were boring. And I look back at the, the history of worship and I, I didn't see anything more promising there. Even those paintings of the angels in, in Raphael's Madonna looked bored out of their skulls. They look like they've been ushered into eternity and now they have nothing to do. Is that all worship is? Is worship this one long, boring experience? Well, I, I come to certain texts in the Gospels where you look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus does something kind of peculiar, like in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The key word here is often. He often went places by himself and just spent time in prayer. In fact, there are multiple instances where the disciples have to go looking for him because he's off praying by himself. My default assumption is that if Jesus is doing something that I'm not, it's because he knows something that I don't. If Jesus is doing something that I'm not doing, it's because he's knows, he knows something that I don't know. So if Jesus knows something about prayer that makes it this experience that he can't do without, something that he does often, then I probably need to figure out what it is he knows about prayer that I don't. Because my goal is to live like Jesus. Let's, let's picture worship a little bit differently than some of us experienced growing up. Let's, let's be a little bit more creative in our imagination than, than what Richard Dawkins says heaven must be like. Imagine, this is one for the introverts. Imagine being able to go into a library that has every book that's ever been written. 
And being able to wander through at your leisure with all the time in the world to find any topic that you want to pick up a book and read about it, just to poke around. I, I, know, I know you can sit at your computer and do that today. The internet is a library with every book that's ever been written just about. But kids are gonna miss the experience of wandering through a bookstore and feeling the covers and smelling the smell of old books and just, just poking around. For, for we who grew up with that, it's being able to just pick up a library book and look at it for a little bit. It's like the little pink spoon at Baskin Robbins. Right? I just want a taste of that. I'm just kind of curious if, if I'd like that one more than the others. Uh, imagine having all eternity to explore any subject you ever wanted to know anything about. Or for the extroverts out there, imagine a cafe where you get to go every day and sit down and talk to somebody new. Somebody who lived a long time ago, somebody who lived in your time, people who are very different than you, people who are very similar than you, and find out everything you can about every single person there. A different person every day. Extroverts would love that. For introverts, that's a description of hell. But, but extroverts will love that. Uh, imagine a never-ending source of new relationships. Imagine a place of eternal vacations where you can go new places and discover new things and see new sights. And it never runs out. C.S. Lewis described heaven in the Chronicles of Narnia. And he described it this way. The Chronicles of Narnia are these children's books that he wrote, seven of them, when uh, he was in his 50s. And he wrote these children's books, first of all, to describe what uh, the Christian uh, life is like through the world of fantasy. And so he imagines this land called Narnia where animals can talk. And these human beings find their way into Narnia through things like the back of a wardrobe. And they go and they have adventures and they fight a witch and they talk to the animals there. And they, they learn about a great lion named Aslan, who's the Christ figure in the stories. And in the very last of the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle, at the very end of the book, there's this moment where they're ushered into a world that's to come. And this is Lewis's picture of heaven. And, and Aslan promises that there's more to go and explore. They look at a, a land in front of them with mountains off in the distance, and they realize there are adventures to be had up ahead. This is how Lewis describes it. Things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. We can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I have the feeling that the experience of worship is supposed to be an experience of perpetual discovery. When we worship, we are drawing into the presence of the creative mind that designed the world, the nebulas and the atoms and everything in between. And sitting in the presence of the, the great creative that designed everything, we never run out of things to discover. Worship is not a boring experience when you understand what you're doing. 
there are three things primarily that happen when we worship. First of all, worship gives us a, a right perspective of Jesus. It, it, it helps us to focus in on who he is, to think about it and to dwell about it and, and to learn more about who he is. When, when we worship, what we're doing is we're singing. When we, when we gather for worship and, and sing songs together, we're singing directly to Jesus. Some people get confused on this and they think that what you do on Sunday morning is like you do on Monday morning. On Monday morning, you sing in the shower and then you read the newspaper. And they think Sunday morning is the same thing. You sing in church because singing is fun. You just do it because it's natural and it comes out and you enjoy it. And then you read the newspaper. You read the Bible just to get some information in your head. It just sort of enlightens you and makes you feel more knowledgeable. Monday you do it. It feels good to sing. It feels good to read the paper. Then you go out in, into your world. Sunday, a lot of people feel like worship is just singing in the shower and reading the newspaper. It's just singing because you enjoy singing. And it's just getting some facts in your head so you feel a little more, little more informed. Worship when we sing, is serenading Jesus. It's singing directly to him. If you've ever experienced singing a song to someone else, you know how intimate and how vulnerable it is. I remember back when my wife and I were dating and I had moved to the East Coast to go to seminary and she was living on the West Coast. We had a lot of time on the phone together that year. A lot of our relationship was phone calls. And I remember one time getting my guitar and singing to her into the phone a song I had written. And if you've never done that before, if you've never put yourself on the line, you don't know how, how intimate it is to open yourself in that way. Now, this, this may be different for people who know how to sing really well. For those of us, for those of us who do not, it's really vulnerable. Uh, and I know what it sounded like in the natural. In the natural world, it sounded like a cat that was in a fight with another cat. I know what my voice sounds like. But in the supernatural, when we sing, we're looking into the eyes of Jesus and pouring out our hearts to him. And it doesn't matter to him whether or not we sing well. Picture a, a little girl, a little kindergartner singing a song to her dad. He doesn't care what her voice sounds like. He thinks that what she's doing is beautiful. So the next time you worship, the next time you sing songs, picture yourself looking into the eyes of Jesus as you sing. And watch what happens in your heart as you do. Worship draws us into an intimate place with him and helps us to see him more clearly than we ever have. Secondly, worship helps us see ourselves rightly. Worship helps straighten out our self-perceptions because in worship, Jesus speaks back to us and he tells us who we are. He corrects the broken images of ourselves that we've picked up from the world and he tells us who we are. You're my beloved. You're my child. I've chosen you. I would never let you go. I want to be with you for the rest of eternity. Nothing you ever do will make me stop loving you. Nothing will make me love you less. I will never let go of you. I will chase you to the ends of the earth. Worship does to us what, um, what a chiropractor did once for me. I, I was having a season where my back hurt a lot. And uh, it hurt on Sunday mornings even to stand up through two worship services. I had to sit down in between because my back hurt so much. And I went to a chiropractor, and he didn't pick me up or crack my back or anything like that. He, he actually just barely touched 
one little place on my neck because he says there's a, there's a bone at the top of your spine. And if I can get that bone at the top of your spine straightened out, your whole spine will align. And, you know, at the time I thought, whatever you say, buddy, I, I doubt that this is real. But he did that for four weeks. And a month later, all of my back pain was gone and never came back again. Just, just lining up that little bone at the top of my spine helped the whole thing to stand straight. Well, when I worship, I'm straightening out my spine. Jesus is straightening out my spine. And that's why I often begin the day with a prayer that I've taught this congregation. I begin the day by saying, God made the world and God made me. God is in control and I'm not. God absolutely recklessly loves me. And so now I'm going to live the day with Jesus. And that is setting my spine straight. Worship corrects our self-perception. It corrects our perception of him and then it corrects our perception of us and then it helps us to see the world more clearly and actually in some powerful super supernatural kinds of ways every time I've heard clearly from Jesus it's come out of an experience of worship uh, and I'll tell you uh, one of the latest ones just a couple weeks ago uh, I was uh, I was up on a Sunday morning before church and I was praying and I often pray before church on Sunday mornings and I, I prayed God, is there anything you want to tell the church today? And then I just kind of let my mind wander and see what comes to mind. And the first thing that came to mind was a guy I went to high school with many years ago whose name was Thomas. And I hadn't thought about Thomas in a long time, so I didn't know why he would come to mind. And then my mind drifted to another guy who I went to high school with whose name was also Thomas, who I really didn't know well at all and who I clearly had not thought of since high school. And I don't know why I even remembered him. And then my mind drifted to someone else who I knew from college. And I realized his name was Thomas also. And then I heard in my mind this sentence, someone from long ago is coming to church today. And I thought, well, that's silly. My high school is far. I went to high school in Texas. Nobody from my high school is coming to church today. And I dismissed it and I forgot about it. I didn't even think, I didn't think in any way it was a message from God. Well, I was standing over here at the door at Valley Center and uh, welcoming people as they came in, and somebody walked up, and I recognized him, but at first I didn't know who he was because it had been a long time since I've seen him. And he walked up to me, and he said, Hi, Jim, it's Tom. I haven't seen you in a long time. It was a guy named Tom from long ago, not from my high school. He's a pastor who retired from another church and five years ago or so moved away from California, and he, he's just come back. And actually, I think that's important in more ways than one, because I think his story may overlap with the story of real life in interesting ways in the future, but I'll have to save that story for another time. All that to say, in a moment of worship, in a moment of concentrating on Jesus and opening myself up to listening to him, he showed me something about the world that I might have otherwise missed, or, or I might not have known so clearly that his hand was in it. And when he does that, it causes us to pay attention to what he's doing in the world. So worship writes our view of him. It writes our view of ourselves. And it writes our view of the world. Worship is that act of sitting and waiting on God. And saying more than anything else, I need you, Holy Spirit, to fill me and to lead me. To 
teach me and to guide me, to comfort me and remind me of the things that Jesus has said. And we need that experience, not just weekly together, but daily. We need a daily commitment to recharging in worship. And if we really want to encounter God in this life, I'm sure it's going to come through that experience, through that that perpetual, repeated experience of drawing into the presence of Jesus and saying, I'm just going to stand here and wait. I'm not going to leave until you're done with me. I want to know you more. And that is anything but boring. That is anything but boring. To draw into the presence of the creative mind that designed the world, that made me, that loves me. There's nothing more powerful than that, and it never runs out. I love the way author G.K. Chesterton described God. Uh, Chesterton was writing some hundred years ago, and he was a major influence on C.S. Lewis. When you read C.S. Lewis, you see Chesterton's influence. But in his book, Orthodoxy, uh, Chesterton describes God in a way uh, that is... Uh, uh, convincing that it is not God uh, who's boring, uh, it, it's, it's us. That our, our, our boredom uh, works in inverse proportion to our creativity. The more creative we are, the less bored we are. And God, the, the ultimate creative, never gets bored. And, and here's how Chesterton describes God. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) If you're a grandparent who's ever played horsey with a kid who wants to ride on your knee, you know they'll do it until you're nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Worship is that act of drawing into the presence of the creative mind that never gets bored. And there's nothing boring about that. So as you go about your business this week, carve out time where you can sit in the presence of Jesus and just pray, I want to know you more. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in your presence we find healing and we find life. I pray that as we dwell in your presence, you would restore those places where we're broken. That in those places where we've settled for distorted self-images of doubt and guilt, that you'd wash all that away. That you'd straighten our spines so that we can stand straight. Help us to see you more clearly, so that we can go about the business of worship with open eyes. 
and send us out in the world expecting that God, our creative father, has better plans for us than we have yet imagined. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.